Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome back to the Mind World Podcast in 2023. Can you believe it? This is our first podcast for the new year. I think it's a new year that's, uh, that, that promises a lot, and lots of things maybe remained undone last year, but we, we're looking forward to lots of new conversations, lots of new guests, and lots of new topics also to, uh, to investigate and to talk about. So the Mind World Podcast, for those of you who don't know, maybe this is the first time that you grace us with your presence. <laughs> it is the podcast where we talk about all things new and innovative in the natural resources industries uh, with a specific focus on mining and digitization, of course. My name is MP Stradom and uh, I am your host. So as we get started, allow me a quick shout out. Uh, as always, to MineRP, who is the sponsor of the MineWorld podcast. We're a mining software company that specializes in enterprise interoperability. And that basically means that we make everyone on the mine work together better. MineRP is part of the Epiroc Digital Solutions portfolio, where we help mines to accelerate the journey towards digitally enabled excellence in mine planning, scheduling, and operational execution, and a whole lot more. You know, you, I guess you'll hear uh, that story grow over the next year as well. Today we've uh, we've got an interesting guest for you, as always, a man whom I met recently. When was it? Uh, beginning of uh, November, 2022, at the IMAR conference in Sydney, in Australia. My guest is Cameron Stevens, and Cameron is a health and safety professional uh, with a passion for step-changing health and safety performance with emerging technologies and is considered Australia's leading safety technologist and safety futurist. Well, a safety futurist. Welcome to the MindWorld podcast, Cameron. Thanks, MP, and uh, what a privilege to be uh, the first guest of 2023. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's just our pleasure. It's great to have you on. And when we met in in Sydney, Last year, I can't believe it's only two, three months ago. It, it feels <laughs> it feels like a lot has happened since. I enjoyed the discussion that we had because I, I felt like there was a bit of a meeting of minds around the, the combination of or the intersection between technology and safety uh, because that's also kind of my background. I also started in, in, in safety solutions and health and safety, occupational health and safety in mines. And uh, of course, you know, tech, Technologically speaking, or, or I should say background speaking, I'm a technologist. But let's talk about you. You have a deep background in, in safety solutions as well as in technology. So tell us a little bit about uh, Cameron Stevens and uh, who you are and how you got to be where you are right now. Thanks, MP. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, a bit of an interesting background. Um and I'll, I'll try and go through the key points that are that are relevant to the conversation. But I was a, a, a high-level springboard and platform diver, a gymnast, and um, wow. I, I was in the circus. So I did a lot of uh, high-risk activities as a kid um, and, and quite high-performance activities. The reason I tell that story is because I got injured a lot and uh, ended up... Um, after doing some travel around the around the world, I found myself in, in physiotherapy. Uh, so I studied physical therapy as an undergraduate, and uh, also did some archaeology uh, bits and pieces. I really in, enjoy the natural world, 
And uh, from there, I, I really uh, blending culture together and asking a lot of curious questions as a physio and being engaged with people, physio being one of those uh, professions where you, you have spent a lot of time with individuals and speaking to them. I became really curious about work, about how people got injured, uh, either at work or in their life. And um, that led me to, to really want to understand further the, the complexities about work systems and the role of the human. So I, I studied my master's in ergonomics, uh, mm -hmm. human factors, so the, the role of human in the system. And, um, and, and during that time of study, I, was, uh, I, I transitioned out of physical therapy into health and safety uh, and right. the role of the human in the system. And I worked in um, the local council sector, uh, in the insurance space, in uh, the water utility industry, and then continually seeking more high-risk industries. I, I landed uh, in the oil and gas sector and spent uh, the next close to 10 years uh, working as a health and safety professional in that industry. Uh, and what I found in that industry was that the there was a, a lot of um, use of technology to improve work performance, uh, operational performance. And, and I was really interested in the role of the human and the role that uh, organizations had around selecting and deploying technologies to improve human and organizational performance. And uh, because of this um, interest in technology, I realized quite early on that we can only do so much as, um, you know, te technology can only take us so far if people are going to actually use it and that <laughs> technology needs to be very focused on the user. And I figured if I want to be able to influence technology change and adoption for better work, I need to learn about that as well. So I moved out of the, out of the health and safety side of things in a business mm -hmm. and moved full-time into tech. So back in 2019, I, I moved out of uh, my last full-time health and safety role, which was managing uh, high-risk operations in Papua New Guinea and Alaska for an oil company. And I moved to a head-mounted Android wearable computing company, which is a bit of a pivot, and uh, <laughs> rode the wave of, uh, of, of COVID by deploying a connected work solutions. And most recently, uh, I, I moved to a, a role as the head of augmented and virtual reality at Lenovo and yep. a common thread throughout my most recent career has been running uh, coaching and, and consulting services to improve the digital literacy uh, of health and safety professionals and to build teaming between technology teams and safety teams. So that's a, a, a rapid fire <laughs> history from primary school to 2023. <laughs> Well, it makes sense um, because it, it kind of demonstrates that there's a, uh, there must have been a, a progression in thinking and understanding about the worldview approach here around, as you say, the way that technology is adopted, the way that, uh, that people are ready to adopt it, and so on. And uh, you've used an interesting uh, phrase here. Um, you know, you talked about how we should consider the human in design. And, and I've read about some of the things that you wrote about, you know, talking about human-centered design as well. I guess that's, that's something that's uh, fairly important when you look at ergonomics. But in general, can you kind of give us a working definition of what human-centered design means? 
Well, for me, it's just asking requirements of the of the people that are actually going to be using the technology. So what is what is the problem in their mind, not what is the problem in your mind? Yeah. So it's really just asking the people that are expected to be interacting with the technology, what they understand the dimensions of the challenges that they're facing to be and whether or not the solution, be it a technology solution or otherwise, is going to solve the solution for them. So that can be different for different users and therefore it's an ongoing process of inquiry. And the opposite to that will be tech for the sake of tech or solution just because. Or, or function oriented technology, I guess, or design being, right? As opposed to humans. Yeah, and I really liked our conversation, which hopefully you can uh, recap, was the history of, of how technology has evolved. I mean, I've been really fortunate extremely fortunate to be living through the analog yeah. to digital phase, something like a, a camera, for example. I, When I was growing up, it was film, and I was able to go through that film to, to digital transition. Same with television, uh, you know, going up and pulling the knob on the TV and trying to find the, uh, the, the, the right station, um, and now for it to be completely digital and then into streaming. So... I really liked your uh, from from features to, to functions analogy yeah. to maybe maybe for the sake of our uh, you know of, of everyone else let's not make this an inside joke. <laughs> I'll just I'll just recap that very quickly. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll recap it very quick. What we were talking about is you know um, the way that people uh, looked at technology and I guess even bought technology or the way that we that we developed and sold technology. Uh, 20 years ago versus today. And, and, and I remember that we, we started off focusing on function, you know, and we had fantastic um, sayings like form follows function and so on. And we designed to really make it possible for people to uh, create uh, or rather to um, be productive at using some kind of a software function in, in, in that case. Over time, however, you know, you find that, that different competitive, uh, competing customers, they, um, you know, they start competing not only on, oh, my system has a green button and now yours has as well, so let's add a red button to it, you know, just fun more function. But they start talking about features or started talking about features. And so, so let's say, for example, uh, mind design and, and, you know, it would start off with, well, I've got a CAD solution that is able to uh, to draw a line. Uh, yep, well, now so do I. Oh, but mine can do not only draw uh, line drawing, but I can actually do mine design. And it's smart around that, that kind of feature. And then, you know, over time, as, as that became kind of dial tone uh, capability, companies started talking not about the, the technology only, but about the technology in the context of the job, you know, so there was the benefit discussion. Oh, right. I, I can do this, but I can do it faster. I can do it easier. I can do it more enjoyably uh, and, and so on. And, and then it went from benefit to value. Right. If I have this fantastic piece of uh, uh, technology, how does it save money? How does it make, uh, uh, you know, 
make more profit or make their work more efficient or uh, uh, profitable and so on. So there was a ben- uh, rather a, a value focus that that's probably about five years old or so in, in, in the mining industry. And the last thing that we then said was it's there's now a kind of frontier that, that goes from value-based um, approach to technology to values-based. You know, where all of a sudden everyone's talking about ESG and everyone's talking about the, the non-explicit benefits that, that people want in their, in their lives and their jobs and so on. And, and I guess that touches on what you are doing. You know, uh, there is this intersection between, yes, the technology does something well, but does it speak to the way that I like engaging my world and not only my job? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And one of my key focuses at the moment in terms of people starting on their journey to values-based transformation, human-centered transformation is leveraging trends that aren't specifically technology, but bigger than that. So an example is the use of voice. So the way that we, the way that we interact and change our relationship with technology by using our voice. We, you know, we've been communicating for 300,000 years or however, however long human history you go back to be able to, we've been using our voice to communicate about dangers, about risk, but we then shifted that to be more gadget-driven and, and communicating in, in a completely different way, and we lost, we lost our human capability of communicating with each other. And we're now seeing a shift again with this uh, voice trend to go back to this human-centered ability to, to collaborate. Um, we're using voice to control devices. Uh, we're using voice to, to talk about risk. And that's a, a really um, a really interesting example of the use of of leveraging a trend rather than uh, leveraging a, um, a a technology itself. I I actually made a note here you know, before we started that uh, I wanted to talk to you about your your um, thoughts on the transition to voice. You know, and because the people interacted with technology through keyboards for. I don't know, what's it now, the past maybe 50 years, if, if that much. Um, and all of a sudden, that is changing. We are starting to talk to our smart devices. And lo and behold, they're talking back, <laughs> you know, and they do understand us. Um, and there's a lot of change in, you know, in, in the way that we, uh, and I guess our children or younger people coming into the, uh, into the working environment, who are digital natives, uh, they, they expect to interact with their world differently than what we do. And do you see that that, that kind of expectation um, will drive where technology is going? So that, uh, you know, if I'm used to engaging with technology in a certain way, my TV, my uh, cell phone, my tablet, etc. at home, then then. Uh, companies will have to adjust the way that they allow people to interact with technology as well at work. Absolutely. I mean, this is the fundamental component of leveraging trends. My daughter, when she wants a question answered, will walk up to the smart speaker in our in our living room and say, hey, hey, Google, uh, you know, what's the Latin name for an antelope? She's seven and she has been asking questions like that since... Uh, 
since she could talk, she's a very curious mind. Uh, one of the one of the qualities I spend a lot of time trying to instill, you know, working and I know we've just pivoted here, but I think it's really important is as as we spend more and more time with technology and smart technology, the more we need to ensure that humans are um, displaying yeah. more human qualities, creativity, curiosity. So. Uh, the, what I, what I do with my kids is spend as much time as I can exploring creativity, mm. curiosity, the human skills that are required, not just, you know, the, the other things that can be probably better done by a machine, but yeah. coming back to the, to the smart speaker analogy is, um, that that's just an expectation, um, of what she, she's, she's expecting to be able to, to do that. Um, mm. when it comes to the workplace, however, Name a workplace that you know that has a smart speaker in the lobby, in the, uh, you know, in the mine engineer's office to be able to interrogate the management system. What was the last um, data point? Uh, you know, where we're, we're, we're drilling, we're drilling ahead. What was the, where was the last um, area where I got these cuttings come back um, mm. on this, this area? Those types of questions we should be able to ask. We should be able to just speak and get yeah. an answer. Yeah. Um, but yeah. we don't do that in our enterprise. We do that at home, but not in our enterprise. And I think that will shift. Another example is um, social media, where when we, and we're getting better at this at work, but the TikTokification, the you know short duration, uh, self-created video content to transfer the way that we communicate things in an organization has been um, quashed by our, our businesses as as not professional or not something that is considered to be effective, uh, and that's changing because um, we leverage those trends in our daily lives to communicate. Why wouldn't we be doing that at work? Uh, I spend a lot of time. Uh, I've teamed up with a creative, and we do we we do work from a customer success type approach or being able to communicate learnings across an organisation using social media. Uh, tactics. Um, you don't need a lot of money to be able to pull out a smartphone and click record and transfer your learning across an organization. But enterprises seem to see that as something that is, like I said, unprofessional, not polished, but that's where we live in. It's fast paced, it's uh, on demand, and it's able to be created uh, and highly contextualized. So there are examples of the types of things where, you know, technology, human, and leveraging trends are, are certainly something I'm seeing ways to create impact and unlock value for organizations. If those are some of the of the trends that you're looking at, then they sound so logical. <laughs> they sound obvious. So why are they not being adopted much faster than, uh, than what we see around us? There's a, a few different angles to that. So unpacking a couple of them. When I look at technology, strategy, and vision, and, and my other area, as we've talked about, is health and safety. And then you have business strategy and, you know, things like mind planning strategy and, and engineering strategy. They're all generally done. Um, there might be some form of common vision, but typically the strategies are very separate. Uh, I spend a lot of time focusing on trying to close the gap between digital strategy and health and safety strategy. So right. generally speaking, there's a lot of commonality, but there's just... Um, there's no common vision between those two parts of the of the business to see how they could combine to be better together. So there's um, 
a lot of resources that are being required. Uh, so a lot of time and effort being required from operations and maintenance um, by different parts of the organization, but they're not, you know, they're taking, they're sapping time, but they're not doing it in a, uh, in an efficient or collaborative way. So one is just the structure in the organization. Um, the other is this sort of um, propensity for organizations to innovate just for the sake of innovation, not for the sake of actually driving business value or outcomes. So there's these teams that, um, like I'm very cautious when I get asked to engage with an innovation team, because that to me says, we're not prepared to invest in driving change. We're, pre we're prepared to uh, experiment safely in a little sandbox. Um, and that's not always the case, but um, it often, uh, what I often find is that an organization that has an innovation center or hub are prepared to do things uh, at pilot scale, but not at true scale, because they, they, they may not have the risk appetite um, so that's another factor is the risk appetite, um, the ability to, to truly communicate uh, and be vulnerable because of the fact we're in high risk industries. A lot of the things I do in high risk industries. You, you, you can't very well just bring every idea into the workplace safely. Exactly. So I, I understand the, the, the reasons behind innovation teams and um, they do make a lot of sense. But when it comes to practice, uh, when you look at the volume of things that have demonstrated value at the innovation phase, but have never come into the business. I think that's that's an example. The other thing is I just don't, I don't believe we've spent enough time thinking about what the users need. We think about just, and that that's, um, a, you know, the technology teams uh, is in the startup technologies and the established businesses creating technologies for enterprise may, not be spending enough time understanding the requirements of the users. And the reasons for that is the requirements of the users change maybe day by day, minute by minute. And we're often doing sort of one year product cycles, 18 month product cycles, and that's just too long. So I think we're just unable to get out of our own way and see that, you know, some of these things need to happen much faster. They don't need to be as polished but they obviously need to be done within the risk, the target market that we're working in. So let's make it practical. I, uh, for example, head up a, not me personally, but this is a, a hypothetical. If I were to head up a, uh, an innovation hub at a mining company, now, of course, I, you know, we, we've heard your, your views about that, but, but this is the way that it's often structured. And then we, we've identified this, fantastic new technology we want to invest further in it but before we do that we want to make sure that we get that uh, human voice into it and, and and really hear from users out there uh, how they would like to interact with this thing that in principle is useful how do you see that companies go about that you know is it is it focus groups is it user generated feedback is it how does it work how do we practically engage people in our design yeah. Okay. So there's a there's a few things, the few structural things that need to be there first. One is, um, structure is probably not the right word, but there needs to be a very clear, consistent, common vision from leadership right down. So from leadership at the top right down through the organisation, that needs to be consistent, unwavering, and any movement from that posture can seen it would be seen as uh, 
lip service being paid to that vision. So there needs to then be a budget associated uh, to, to the delivery. So the budget that's allocated needs to be realistic compared to the change that's required. But the, the tactical component is fast feedback cycles. So I need real-time feedback or close to real-time in a method that the worker wants to provide it back to me. So I would want to understand what method do the workers want to provide information and, and what method does the business want to communicate things to the, to the people using. So uh, clearly technology has an excellent uh, play, excellent capability there. And another good example of using voice, if I can just, uh, the second I have a challenge um, or, or a problem that I'm wanting to, to feedback around the solution that's being tested, I should be able to do that very, very simply in real time in a delightful way. And using voice, it might be, I'm just using this new piece of software. I've noted that there's a problem with the way of entering my user credentials. It comes up with this error, done. And I, and I shouldn't need to then have to fill out a clunky form, uh, do something else that is another layer of friction. It should be as frictionless and as delightful as possible. So clear vision, budget, and fast feedback cycles are probably where I'd start. I think what I've learned uh, also in what you've described there is that uh, maybe coming from a from an engineering background, you, you tend to think of, of the design and development and then uh, deployment uh, phases uh, in the product's life cycle as a waterfall approach. And what you've described there is not a waterfall approach. You've described the continuous feedback and continuous improvement uh, of the of the product that you put out there in a way that 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 adopts to what users want and and what people want while they are actually using the product which is of course an opportunity in the digital world that we have to change things much much more quicker than than in the world of let's call it uh, hardware and and yellow yeah. metal solutions and the other thing really is is let's continue to celebrate success we don't do that enough in in all forms, um, particularly in relation to health and safety. We spend a lot of time uh, putting a lot of effort into the negative aspects and hardly any time into the positive aspects. And if we want to promote positive behaviour, positive innovation, uh, continuous improvement, we celebrate people providing feedback. We celebrate the fact that things came out quickly, they weren't perfect, but they did pretty damn well. Um, and we celebrate those things and that then yeah. drives uh, a whole, uh, it, you know, it raises the, the collective motivation to want to continue to do these things. And people will go, well, I, I can actually be, contribute to this uh, vision as well. And it's not just the, the, the small few that are seen to be able to innovate successfully, but collectively we are innovating together um, by, you know, continually celebrating success and, and demonstrating that we can provide value to the business. And I guess you see this user-driven configuration and user-driven uh, or uh, feedback, uh, generated feedback and content, even in the way that we interact with our smartphones. You know, uh, a few years back, we, we bought smartphones, or rather, we bought phones that were pre-configured and the the landing page looked this way and I had an icon top right of the screen that did that and, the, and, and so on. Whereas today, it seems like 
I interact with my uh, smartphone the way that I wish to interact with it. You know, coming back to your, your example of voice, or maybe just what widgets I want where and and how do I want to uh, how do I want this thing to look? It, it's a reflection of my personality as much as anything else, as well. Absolutely, Cameron. Listen. Uh, we are uh, fast running out of time here. This conversation must go on. I do want to have you back because I want to speak uh, to you, or rather the other way around, I want to hear have you speak to, to all of us a little bit more about your, uh, your current role um, as the uh, Australian New Zealand Regional Manager for Augmented and Virtual Reality Solutions at Lenovo. Because I think augmented reality bringing the virtual into the physical. Now, some people are talking about digital. <laughs> is something that, that, that we'll see much, much more going into the future. And I'd love to have your personal and official views on that. If, you, if you'd be happy to come back, I think that's going to be a very fruitful discussion as well. I'd love to. Maybe we could even talk about the M word. The M word. Which one's that? Metaverse. <laughs> Meta, oh, of course, yes. <laughs> yeah, because that's one that very few people understand. And I, you know, I, I think even the ones that claim that they do, um, we probably don't because it changes so quickly. Uh, but, but there's a lot to be said about that as well. So what I normally do with, with guests as we end the uh, podcast is I ask them what's on their bedside table. What are they reading? So looking forward at 2023 or or maybe in review at 2022. Uh, what are you reading or planning to read uh, right now? So I'm revisiting uh, a book that I have on high rotation. Uh, it's called Now You're Talking by Trevor Cox. It's uh, the story of human converse conversation from the, the Neanderthals through to artificial intelligence. It's about our relationship with the human voice. It starts with Thomas Edison and the way that he uh, set up the, the, the phonograph and recorded voice for the first time. Right. It's a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating read about, about voice and how, when I say something to you, MP, how are you today? And your response by you just saying the response, I can actually determine probably how you actually are feeling or will at least have a yeah. sense that you're, you know, and your accent leads me under, you know, probably gives me a, a good idea of where you're from. Um, so it is. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't have an accent. Only Aussies have accents. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. G'day, mate. Um, so it's a fascinating book, and um, it it is a, a book that I've um, that I gift people at Christmas time. Uh, so around this, uh, you know, end of year, start of the new year period, I I, um, I like to revisit that book and. Uh, rekindle why I like to gift it every year because it's a fascinating um fascinating story and uh hopefully some some of your listeners can can check it out uh, sounds really interesting and I'd just like to remind everyone that all of the books that uh, that our guests refer to uh, are available on the minor p website on the mindwall podcast page and you'll be able to see what they're about there so please do go around and uh, and check them out. Cameron, thank you so much for being a guest on, on Mindwalk and uh, we look forward to having you back again. Thanks so much, MP. Take care. Happy 2023.